Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. Great afternoon. You are in the fast lane with Sarah Jane. I am so glad that you are here today. So a long time ago, I did a podcast about homeschooling and how I was not teacher of the year. Since then, I decided to full-on homeschool my kids, not distance learn through the school, which I found out was the actual issue, not just homeschooling, because there was a disconnect between my son and I, because I was not his actual teacher. So I was asking him to do things differently, apparently, than his teacher was. So I was under the impression that the teacher sent home, let's say, 10 worksheets, that we should just do all the worksheets, because then if she needed them back, we could just send them in. He was under the impression that we should only do whatever the teacher had talked about that day on their Zoom call. So that's why we had an issue because all it was was my teacher didn't say that, my teacher didn't say that. So he really could not afford to move out at nine and have his own place. So I decided just to full on homeschool. New experience for me. And I must say, I love it. And the kids love it too. The kids do miss seeing their friends, but there's actually a larger group of homeschoolers in our town of 1200 now. And so they just have a different group of friends they get to hang out with. So no, they're not in school eight hours a day with their friends, but we do have a lot of play dates. What I have really liked is that I'm learning a lot about my kids. So I thought that maybe they had different strengths or weaknesses and now I'm finding out otherwise. And it's very interesting. And I'm, I really, I really do enjoy it. Like I do like my kids and I'm, I'm going to be honest. I do have my times where I'm just a little overwhelmed because I am with one of my children almost 24 hours a day, but that is normal. <laughs> we all kind of just need a disconnect and we sometimes all need to break and we all just need to take care of our mental health, however we need to do it. But I am enjoying being their homeschool teacher. I have also found a really good supportive group of moms who are homeschooling. So that has been a nice resource for me. And then I stumbled across the guy that we are going to chat with today. Welcome, David Rodriguez, who is a homeschooling guru. Is that okay to call you that? (laughs) Sure, you can call me anything. (laughs) As long as it's friendly. Thank you. So I have have listened to David. I I originally listened to him on two podcasts and I was very interested. So I will be honest, it was hard to track him down. But once I finally did, I was super excited that I could talk to him about homeschooling in general, since this is a new new thing for me. So David, why did this and how did this become your mission? Well, I... um... Always had uh, big dreams, but I was raised in a small town in Northern California, and I thought success was having a lot of money, living on the beach, kicking back. And then as I start to study and have mentors 
you realize is about leaving the world a better place. At least that's one of them, you know? And one of my mentors, he said, in regards to finding purpose, find an injustice on the earth and then spend your life trying to correct that injustice. And so I started looking around and I felt that uh, the school system really did me wrong in terms of trying to educate me. And then I learned about the work of Charlotte Isserbit and then John Taylor Gatto, um, you know, the world famous school teacher who um, got all these awards and then wrote a book about the history of the school system. And so I reached out to him because down like in San Jose and multiple cities, I kept seeing these public schools that were called the Horace Mann School, the Horace Mann School. And if you go through the history of the school system, you find out Horace Mann's a guy who went to Prussia, the old Germany, and he brought the system here. And he said, yeah, this is a great way to, to break the unity of the working man. And so you're like, wow, this system sounds to be contrived. So it is a contrived system. The government monopoly compulsory school system for 12 years was designed to create obedient soldiers, clerks, and consumers. And uh, you can take a look at the book of uh, John Taylor Gattle, The Underground History of American Education. That's his life's work, which um, we republished the first volume two years ago, about three years ago. And we got the second and third volume forthcoming. And so I just reached out to him and got into business with him. And I was a child once. You were a child once. You have children now. These are the most vulnerable, precious, adorable, sweet humans on the earth. So why are we allowing the state to mandate attendance from age six to age 18? It's a diabolical system. It's a day prison. And so once I got clear on the origins, the intentions, and the purposes of the government school system, I said, this is uh, going to be something I'm going to put an effort in. And uh, I met multiple people around the country, around the world. And so what I'm working on now is called the Gattle Project, which is an acronym played off of John Gattle's name, which means get all the thinkers out of forced schooling. So I'm going to spend, I don't know, probably the next few decades trying to remove as many kids as I can from the school system, empower you mothers and fathers out there, people thinking about it, worried about it, and help you understand what a real education is and go throughout the process of learning that. So it really was to understand the injustice of the school system. I got to meet John Gatto and found out that we're all humans. And as transformational people, we want to step into our power and exercise it. And uh, this is very thrilling. Anytime a parent comes up to me, because I um, held an expo called Education Options Expo for a few years, and I have a, a YouTube channel, the same name. Um, they're like, oh my gosh, like it took me three years. I was attending and finally I'm ready to pull my kids out of school. And I'm like, awesome. You know, whether you do it in six months or three years, remove your child from the school system and then everything's going to get easier. It's just that initial fear. You know, it's the greatest fear for many parents. They're going to ruin their child's life, but you can't mom and dad, you can't ruin your child's life because you love them. And unfortunately these school teachers are just doing their job they have 100 to 130 students a day. They barely know your child's name. So no way could they have as much intention and care that you have for your child. And uh, you know, this is some of the stuff we can talk about today. So I just saw the injustice of the school system. I said, I'm going to try to do something about it and started reaching out and try to do a little bit that I can. And it turns out um, a lot of parents are looking for some answers and uh, we have them. They've been Homeschooling is a de facto way of educating your child for thousands of years. It's only the last 150 years where the state got involved with their interests and uh, really terrible and, and it's harming the minds of children. So um, I want to be part of the solution and not just complain about the problem. Well, you are doing a great job uh, right now. And my question to you is why do you think 
since homeschooling was so prevalent at one point, why do you think there's such a stigma around it? Because I'm going to be honest, when I sent my first son to school, well, I live in a town of 1200. So I know all of the teachers and I'm very fortunate because they're friends of mine, you know? So I really try to make sure that my kid is not just a number, but I'm most people live in much bigger areas. They do not have those relationships with the teachers. Okay. So, but I remember when I sent my first son to school and I said, if you don't like school or something goes wrong, it's okay. We can homeschool. And I don't know if I've maybe always wanted to do it. And then I just really got a reason to do it after the distance education. That's why we did it because we can't do the distance education anymore. It didn't work well for us. I argued a lot with my nine-year-old and Mm. So doing the homeschool is a lot easier. But when I was younger, and not so much now because I have a lot of patients at homeschool and I think they're and they're all very great people. But when I was younger, if you were homeschooled, you were just thought of as weird. You didn't go to normal school. So it was weird. You know, you were so different. Why why did that stigma ever come about? What's the scoop there? So the schools get their money from the districts by average daily attendance. So the school has to make campaigns in the media and in the community that you're not going to get socialized. You're going to have all these disadvantages and you know, they, um, they're not going to be able to interact in a way that we are right now. So it is this stigma. And I remember I was, I went, my hometown had about 3000 people in it and the homeschool, there was probably, I don't know, five or 10 homeschool kids that I knew. And the reason they were weird is because they were full of confidence. They were self-expressed. They were, uh, they knew who they were. They weren't trying to fit in, you know, and like be part of the cool people or be in the social circles. And so in retrospect, I'm like, they were just free thinkers. So the, this system is, like I said, it's been going on for over a hundred years. It's a very sophisticated system at this point. And they use it as a, as a point of leverage to intimidate parents from removing their children and they want the parents to feel like you have to become the expert of math, science, language, art, music, all these things. And then mom's like, well, I wasn't good at math or I wasn't good at science. It's like, great. That's no problem. You know, like even if there was no internet, there's the libraries and books and resources and creative imagination, but now there's the internet too. So this is uh, what's so exciting is that now you don't have to worry about the stigma because if you look at some of the colleges and even employers, they like homeschoolers because homeschoolers have their own mind. They're not just going to college because mom told them to, or it's the right thing to do, or after I get a college degree, I'm going to be successful. It's like, no, I really want to become a marine biologist, or I really want to become an economist, or a business person, or a teacher, or an engineer. Why? Because it's interesting to me. I like it. And it's like, there's a certain amount of intellectual vigor and vitality that homeschoolers have that public school kids don't have because we were taught learning is boring and books are useless and there's no freedom. But as you know, as a self-educated professional yourself, it's like, we're always learning, you know, that doesn't stop. You know, we are the learning beings. And once, once mothers and fathers understand that there's going to be a mass exodus out of these schools. But so it's, it's psychological uh, manipulation in my opinion um, that the schools encourage or uh, discourage parents from removing their children. They're going to be weird. There's a stigma when in reality, they're, they're actually powerful young people. 
and they're just different compared to everybody else going this way. You know, if you have 99 people going this way and one person going this way, even if the 99 people are wrong, it looks like they're right because the crowd psychology, but maybe there's 99 people going off a cliff and this guy's going uphill and to safe landing. So and that's how I view homeschooling. I think homeschooling is probably the future. And I, um, I just define homeschooling as when a leader creates an atmosphere where personalized learning can occur. And then just a little bit beyond that, not too much farther is uh, uh, unschooling. And how I define it is 100% self-directed learning. And that could be defined as what you and I are doing today or yesterday or tomorrow. Like we're learning for our own purposes. We're learning for ourselves. We're not learning for grades or for approval. We're directing ourselves. And this is known in the education literature as a self-directing executive function. It's an actually a real term you can look up that uh, you know all these journals and many of these uh, publications know about, but the problem is that the state is not interested in your child becoming a self-directed executive function or a, a function executive. They want you to be a cog in a wheel, be part of the corporation. Don't be an entrepreneur. Don't be an innovator, a, a scientist, someone who, who creates solutions to the problems we're facing. Just stick to the status quo, stay in your place, don't raise your hand, <laughs> stay silent, hold your mouth shut. And um, so yeah, that's part of the stigma process. And this is why I'm so grateful to talk with champions like you who are homeschooling and empowering your community because you are the visionaries. We are the visionaries and it's going to come from the grassroots. Definitely not going to come from the top down. It's going to come from the mothers and the fathers, the grandfathers, the communities. And once enough people have this conversation about compulsory schooling versus voluntary schooling, um, I think the whole thing's going to fall apart. And um, that's what I'm helping to create. I like how you said the 99 are going one way and the one is going the other way. And I am usually that one going the other way because I'm about being a chiropractor and being a little more natural and organic and all the things that I do in my life. But on the, like on the other hand, I was one of those parents who never wanted my kids to miss school. So last year, having two kids in school, they both missed one half of a day of school. And I was upset that they didn't get this perfect attendance. But now I look at it because I still work and I don't work full time, but they will come with me to the office and we'll do stuff and whatever. I was under the impression when we did the distance learning that you had to be doing school from eight to three because that's what they did in school. So we, that's what we were doing when we were doing that distance learning. And I hated everything about it. On Sunday nights, I'd be like, oh, I just haven't dreaded a Monday like this forever. And my husband said, you're home with your kids. Like, why, why, are, why do you hate this? I'm like, because I just, it's so hard to do this with them. But really, I was going above and beyond because when you have two kids at home, you do not need that much time to teach them at all. But I just thought you got, you got to stick to the school model. You got to stick to what the school was doing. So then going through that, deciding to homeschool, we get so much done in a small amount of time. And right now it's been really, really nice this week, especially for North Dakota, and so they're outside playing a lot. And I'm taking pictures of them. I have no idea what they're doing. A little bit ago, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not watching my kids, but a little bit ago, there was a bike going. There was an inner tube on the back of it. The dog is coming. There's a Nerf gun. I don't know what they're doing, but they're going to come in and they're going to tell me that they were out and hunting an elk or whatever. And this is like basic stuff, like basic daily stuff. Like they're using their imaginations and I love it. One, one day a week, they have to make supper. They have to come up with a recipe. We go shopping, they cook, they clean it up because they're going to be dads 
or fathers or husbands or whatever they're going to be in the future, they're not just going to be textbook, whatever, right? Like, do you think kids are missing some of this stuff? Because they don't have a lot of recess, really. They, they're sitting in their rooms in, with books and being so organized all day. And I love the freedom of that. We don't have to have that. That's not what it's about, right? Absolutely not. So I am uh, actually a principal of a private school, Sarah. And so um, I focus, it's non-traditional, but I do accelerated graduations. And what that means is I can graduate your teenager if they're 14, 13, 16, whatever, I can get them out of there. And um, also focus on apprenticeships. But uh, the, the two principles of my school is that the world is the classroom and that anything and anybody you can learn from can be your teacher. So your older child can learn from your younger child, you know, and vice versa. And this is the way it actually is. If you open source it, mom and dads out there and think, okay, they don't have to just learn in their bedroom, learn on a computer. Yeah, they might have a a career on the computer, but life is to be lived. We are the human beings. We should feel and express and, and, and go and explore and go on adventures because this life is so much bigger than just making money. And I hope you know, you're, if you want your kids to make a lot of money, make a lot of money. But then still, this is the question that I have for my billionaire friend, mentor. You still have a life to live. Let's say you have $20 million right now. You still have a life. What are you going to do with your life? Yeah. And so this is something that generally they can't hear when mom and dad say it, but they got to realize it later. And maybe it's around 10 or 12 or 14, but something goes on. They're like, wow, like one day I'm going to be old like mom or dad. And like, I'm like my siblings, I'm getting older. And then they start to project into the future. Oh, you know, I have to design a life. And so rather than make it laborious, like you did in public school, if you make it exciting, because it is exciting, you, once you understand the truth of your existence and your, whether you believe in God or nature, whatever, whatever's happening in this body, in this experience is amazing. The fact that our parents made sweet love and here we are in existence is like, I'm just still just so grateful, you know, to be a human. And it took a while because in school, you're doing a test and you're reading and you're doing all this baloney. And then as soon as you graduate, they give you a piece of paper and then they never talk to you about any of those assignments you ever did. And you're like, I guess none of that mattered. Correct. It doesn't matter because if you go to the origins, the purposes of schools, it's to make obedient people. That is verbatim what they said. You can go take a look at Johann Fichte, who said, in essence, once um, a state has control of one generation of children, then you won't need armies or policemen because the, the kids will, or the adults will police themselves. And so that's what we're seeing now with like the, the mandatory masks. Um, people are like wearing a mask. There's nobody enforcing it, but the television tells it, the government tells them, and it's totally violating the natural practices of good health and they don't want to do it. it's against their will, but they're afraid and they, they're not aware of their personal power. So all that to say that the world is the classroom. And so one of the advantages of homeschooling is play is actually educational. You know, like how did your child's, your children learn to read or write or speak or walk little by little, you know, you don't need to force it. Hey, here's how you walk. Here's how you talk. No, they're observing you. They're watching and they want to learn some of these basic tools on what to do. And, and so if, if you allow that freedom, that space, then you're going to be able to do that in a, in a really empowering way. Whereas a compulsory model is based on do it because I say, 
do it because um, I'm in charge, I'm, in, I'm the boss. But if you look at it from a collaborative standpoint, like we're in this together, son or daughter, like, you know, I want you to have a good life and here's how I feel and, and how do you feel? And so this is where, like when parents ask me about, well, I'm not good at math. Great. Don't think of yourself as the math teacher. Think of yourself as the learning partner, as the guide, as the oh, yeah. coach, as the encourager. And that way, if they need math, you can say, wow, you know, you're trying to figure out how much this costs or you're trying to how to save up money or whatever you're trying to do. I'll help you. You know, I'm here to help you not to force it on you and give you detention and, you know, give you 15 minutes of recess when young yeah. boys, you know, like they, we need to be outside. We need to go jump on trampolines and roll in the dirt. And then we'll come back and be like, let our, our rest mind, um, our mind rest a little bit. So it's, it's just uh, amazing. If you look at the world as the classroom, that's one of the best places to start. Like this whole thing is, is, is all learning and part of the state D distance learning is to make them addicted to the computer, right? Make them dependent on their curriculum, on their technology. And I have uh, parents contacting me now. I think we'll probably create a team program here um, in the next few weeks so they can get out of the bedroom and actually get out there, go meet some people, gather. Let's, let's create a party or a, an event, a gathering so that teens can meet teens again and who knows, maybe make, make, make a, a girlfriend or a boyfriend or just opposite sex. Let's like, let's engage. So these kids are suffering and um, they're being traumatized on, on a deep level. If you're not able to um, hang out with like-minded people on a free association basis, you're being forced to be in front of your computer. And if that's what they want to do, that's fine. But, you know, ultimately it's like, this is your life. And if you want to be outside, go, you know, I support you. That's awesome. Your kids are running around out there and you're like, I know where they are. But um, you're kind of sounds like you let go of the kind of grips of this is how it has to be. It's like, no, homeschooling is about freedom. And with freedom, they learn about responsibility. And if they're going to be a successful, independent adult, then there's going to be a lot of responsibility. So the more practice they have with it, the better. So what do you think about people? Do you think like when they get to high school, are they missing out if they're not? Um, going to prom or the banquets and stuff like that. Do you think there's an aspect of that that they're missing? I don't. You know, I went to the prom almost every year and, uh, you know, went and hung out with some buddies. And you basically go around a bunch of uh, school teachers who are chaperones and you dance. But, you know, some of the homeschool associations out here, some of the groups who I'm connected with, they start their own prom. They start their own dance. And that's really how it's going to happen. So if mom and dad, if you are afraid that they're going to miss the prom, well, then maybe you can start your own prom. Or like how it happens with sports, sometimes it's like, oh, my son's good at tennis. So he's good at basketball or football, or whatever. Great. If he's good, then go to the coach, go to the athletic director, set an appointment and say, hey, here's my son, or maybe bring some, some footage of it or something like that. Because if you can add to the talent and the victories of his tennis team or his, you know, basketball team, he'll want your kid on there. So, you know, there's always a way, there's always negotiation and you can invite them to the public sports events and, or for, for the prom, you know, it depends mm -hmm. on uh, the principal and the, the leadership there, but just because he's homeschooling, you don't have to, you know, restrict some of the activities. Um, but I mean, really prom, I don't know how impactful that was. Like, I don't know if you guys look at your prom pictures and like, Oh, that was the greatest night. It's like, <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Whatever. That was all right. Yep. You know? 
Absolutely. What do you think is the thing that holds people back most from homeschooling? The number one, I think, I, well, two of them. One is the fear they're going to ruin their child's life. Mm-hmm. And number two, the money aspect of it. Mm-hmm. And so the money one's probably the bigger challenge because um, if you're not looking online or looking for ways to earn money, then you might have to downgrade your house to an apartment or you might have to move to a different part of town uh, temporarily. Um, but on the flip side of it, you know, maybe you can earn some money. Maybe you can figure out some type of business, some venture, and maybe have your child help you, you know, to do that. So the financial side is one aspect. The other side is fear because most likely we went to public school or private school, which is, has a similar structure as um, the public school itself. So they don't know what education is. Literally, when I now I don't try to put parents on the spot, but since we're having an interview, um, I would ask parents. I would say, "What is an education, in your opinion?" And this it's all over the place. And so, just doing this for the last you know four or five years here, my definition of an education is what you do to yourself to create a good life. And so that is a very broad explanation but it comes down to a good life. And so maybe your definition, Sarah, your audience, your definition of a good life is living in a monastery or a nunnery or doing some nonprofit. Other people is making a lot of money and giving it away when you die or somewhere in between. Someone else can define what a good life is. And then once you do that, now you have an aim or a goal of what you're after rather than um, just like, okay, do the test, memorize this. And you, here's the data, regurgitate that. This mm-hmm. is not the world we live in now. The world is going to be more on demand, you know, access the information. And so some of the softer skills are going to be more important as we're doing now, you know, creating media or collaboration or cooperation, harmony, uh, conflict resolution. These are some of the, um, the most important skills that uh, your child can learn these days because the old models falling apart. You know, and they, these controllers, the, whether it's the Rockefellers, the Vanderbilts, um, the people behind these, these, uh, schools, Ford foundation, um, they can control so long, but technology is now outpacing human consciousness is now outpacing them. And so it's going to be very interesting how they, how they're going to try to hold it together. But, uh, with the mandatory mass social distancing for kindergartners and first and second graders, um, I do consider this a form of child abuse. And this is not to say that the teachers are bad people. My mother was a public school teacher for 20 years. I have family members who are um, principals and teachers now, loving, sweet people. But if you're in a compulsory system, you're in a coercive system, you're basically being, you're an actor for this organization. And it's difficult because we got to put food on the table and a, a roof over our head. But at some point, the good teachers, I would say, realize what's going on. They're like, oh my gosh, this this system, I'm not helping these kids. I think I'm harming them actually. So how can I maybe become somebody like John Gatto? And um, I just uh, watched the documentary again the other night with a friend called Classrooms of the Heart. That's on YouTube for free. If you haven't seen, you can watch that. And it just shows how he actually would encourage his kids to get out of school. (laughs) And so he would uh, have them go on apprenticeships and um, some of the great uh, stories is that, like, say, some of his kids want to create a comic book. Like, uh, they're interested in comic books. They want to read, you know, the novels or Shakespeare or none of that 
stuff. They want to come. It's okay. You're interested in comic books. Great. So this is one of the secrets. Whatever your child's interested in, that's your power. That's your leverage. So if it's dinosaurs or comic books or computers, great. So in those, in that field, there's reading, writing, probably a little bit of arithmetic. So it was what he would do is find out what they're interested in. And then he would say, okay, here's what you're going to do. I want you to go down to the library, the city library, and I want you to study how the comic book business works. How do they market it? How do they publish it? How do they distribute it? How does it work? So when you're down there, I'm going to mark you president class. And so obviously get permission from the parents. And um, he, the kids would go spend full. Uh, he would be present. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like that, that kind of, uh, he called it guerrilla school teaching or um, throwing sand on the gears. And ultimately, mom and dad out there, your children are dependent on you to make the best choices for them in these early years. And hopefully they'll um, learn about freedom and they'll take the reins on their own life. But for these first uh, maybe five, eight years of their life, they're looking for you guys to protect their minds. And it really is defining a, what is an education and uh, even what success is. You know, one of the uh, great definitions I got for success, again, you can make your own, is uh, success is peace of mind which is a direct result of self-satisfaction and knowing you made the effort to become your best. And that's from coach John Wooden, the famous uh, basketball coach at UCLA. But in short, it's just like doing your best. And so if you're doing your best, what else can you do? That's all you can do, right? And Art Williams said, all you can do is all you can do, but all you can do is enough. So I think the, uh, the beautiful things in life are very simple. And the schools make it very scary for mom and dad. You're going to ruin your child's life. But since you love your child, mom and dad, and you have an emotional invested interest in the next oh, 80 years of their life or your life, like you want them to be happy. You want them to be healthy. You want them to have a good life. So what, um, what do you define success as? What do you desire for your child? And um, you want to redefine what education was for your experience in public school and understand the world is the classroom and self-directed learning is the real apex and the real ideal uh, for a, a successful child nowadays. I'm glad that my kids aren't there with the whole mask mandate thing because granted germs can be a little much sometimes, you know, you know, little kids are always like on top of each other and, you know, touching their nose and their mouth and whatever, but they learn by playing with each other not by being separated. They need that interaction. And so I'm really glad that we aren't struggling with that this year. And I remember when I was younger, I was really bad at math. And there, I was in the sixth grade and there was a girl that was really, really good at math. Well, both of her and I were trying to finish our math before we could go out for recess. Well, she, um, I had seen her before. Whenever she didn't get something, she'd get mad and crinkle up her paper and throw it away. Okay. Mm. So she gets done and whatever. And now I'm in the classroom and that's what I did. I didn't get it. I was never going to get it because I wasn't good at math. So I crinkled up my paper and threw it away. Cause I thought maybe if I do that, I'll get more help. Like someone will help me. And I remember in high school asking for help and some people thinking some teachers were like the best teacher ever at teaching subjects, but so, the, your favorite teacher, not necessarily is going to be my favorite teacher because we all learn so different. And when you have a room of 20 people, you can't, you can't 
teach to everyone. You know, you have to generally teach. So it was very hard for me in some of these subjects. Like I'm horrible at math and I'm not going to tell my kids that I was so bad at math because I don't want them to get it in their mind that they're bad at math. But it is so nice Mm. to be able to see my kids' strengths and weaknesses and use them. You know, like even if they don't like reading all the time, well, we do have to read this book because I want you to learn about whatever. It's not that I let them get off or get them away from whatever they don't want to do, because sometimes we have to do some stuff that we don't want to do, but you should be able to, um, I think when you homeschool, you just should be able to relate so much better to your kid. And like you said, you love your kids so much that you're going to go through those hurdles and trying to get them to learn. However, however that may be And God bless the teachers that love their jobs, but they cannot work with just one kid. You know, I mean, I'm sure they would love to individually serve all the children, but it's just not possible. That's right. Yes. And in there's, there's teacher training, their teacher credentials, which is another paper certificate that is just kind of status type training. Um, They learn classroom management. So, you know, to the teacher's credit, it would be difficult to have 37-year-olds or 13-year-olds, 30 of them, five times a day. I mean, that's a lot. And you got to get the paperwork. And then you, of course, have the different energies going on, the hormones going on. And, And so it's like you're literally trying to keep your sanity as a teacher. And um, this is what I tell parents is like, well, how are you going to uh, measure achievement? Because in the schools, it's about grades. I said, well, when was the last time anybody ever asked you about your GPA in high school, let alone college, right? That's not what real life is about. And so if you can realize that the school environment is a superficial, fabricated environment to benefit the state then that'll give you some insight to what's going on. For example, imagine if McDonald's was in charge of the schools. What would the schools look like if McDonald's was the one determining the curriculum structure and everything else? Well, on the walls, you'd have pictures of Ray Kroc and all the presidents of McDonald's. And the ultimate goal is you could you know, graduate and then you can work for McDonald's. And then if you're like one of the top students, you're the um, AP student, you could open up your own McDonald's and be a part of the franchise of this great organization. It's natural. And you, you could do that with, with any organization. You know, the, the um, NFL, what, what would they want? Well, they're actually already influenced kids to be football players in the Division One, And that generates money for the colleges. And the colleges are a business. So it's all wrapped around. They use really tricky phrases like quality education. But ask them if you ever go to the, one of these meetings, these school board meetings or this, the board of supervisors or superintendent, what is a quality education? How do you define that? How do you measure that? My friends, it's like saying, how do you define what art is? How do you define what beauty is? Right? It's really in the eye of the beholder. So if your child's interested in computers, that's educational for him. If he wants to play music, that's educational for him. But one of the most important things they're learning is desire, persistency, consistency, and listening to that inner voice that says, I like this. This is fun for me. And as you mentioned, yeah, sometimes, you know, we got to take out the trash in life and there's going to be things that you don't want to do. But if you can minimize those things because you're so excited about life, then you go back to the question, you know, what would you do if you had $20 million in the bank? You know, it's like, oh my gosh, well, I guess I wouldn't work for money. 
no, let's put money aside. You know, it's important and we should, you know, make a lot if we want. But let's say that problem's resolved. Now what you're gonna do with your life force? How are you gonna make the world a better place if you want? Or how are you gonna serve yourself or whatever it is? These types of questions, I would appreciate it if somebody would have asked me these questions when I was 12 and 13, 14, 15. But I don't think I had any of those questions until um, I was maybe in my early 20s. And it's like, okay, well, now it's like kind of after the fact. Now I got to go make some money. You know, now I got to feed myself, put roof over my head. And so the advantage for you parents out there, if you have kids anywhere from 8 to 16 or plus, they have food and shelter. So allow them to explore themselves, explore their environments, what is interesting to them, start businesses, fail businesses, start a project, fail a project, because really after like 30 or 40 projects in different areas, now they can have a 360 view on what's available. And now they're like, okay, I remember when I did that when I was eight, when I did that when I was 11 or whatever, that was fun. Okay, you wanna do that again? Yeah. And after this whole COVID thing goes away, I hope we can go back to having events. You know, I mean, it's uh, really interesting. Some of the whole different conversation, you know, as a medical professional, um, you know, the mandatory vaccines is just a diabolical plan. And so this is already in the works here. Um, California did this five years ago. And so this is why I was talking about getting your kids out of the school system. And now it's even more urgent with the masks that are going on. But despite all that, if your child can learn to be to lead themselves, become their own leader and then make alliances or friendships with other people, whether it's for business or for enjoyment or pleasure, now they have an opportunity to become a full human being, which is whatever they're interested in. You know, they're not intimidated. They don't feel lesser. They don't feel inferior. And that's why I encourage them to go meet their heroes. You know, go meet if they like the Minecraft creator or the um, the other video game, uh, can't remember off the top of my head, but these kids like video games. Okay. So let's go meet them. Let's go to an event. Let's talk with them and make the human connection and realize like, yeah, that's somebody who's been committed and dedicated and persistent in what they're doing. And you can do it too. You know, find out how they did it. Oh, I read, I studied, I did all these things. I mean, there's not going to be any successful people without discipline and consistency. So if they find something they're doing and they're being consistent, you know, let them, let them have at it. And also, one of the important skills of success and achievement is concentration. <laughs> so if your child is like totally in the video game or totally in the music or playing chess or whatever, and you're like, oh my gosh, you know, she's been at it or he's been at it for eight hours straight and he can't, he's, not eat, he's not eating lunch or dinner, then okay, yes, maybe feed them and help them. But like they are concentrating, they are focusing their mind and that is a skill. So they can shift it. If they want to shift from music to something else, to chiro chiropractic or doctor or medicine or law, they can because they've learned by their own experience, if they're interested in something, they will stay focused and they will commit to it. And then as long as you do that, their success is virtually guaranteed. I, I I find that actually exciting. Like it just sounds exciting that you can uh, do that with your child. And is California, is it mandatory to have vaccines to be in school? Yes. So I think it was SB 277 five years ago, made it mandatory. And then I think it was SB 276, which got rid of the um, exemptions. So the only way you can, can have an exemption is you have to have it approved not by your doctor, but by a board of bureaucrats. 
So it's effectively uh, no exemptions, and they've been uh, given a hard time about the doctors who do provide exemptions. I think Dr. Bob Sears um, was given a lot of exemptions, so they gave him um, static or grief about that and threatened his license. So effectively, California is uh, man- mandatory compulsory school and then mandatory uh, vaccines at the kindergarten level and at the seventh grade level. So it's like, holy smokes, man, is this what's going on? My friends, this is what's going on. The state, in my opinion, is a criminal organization. It's based on coercion and they have interest in your children perpetuating their rule over their minds and their bodies. And these guys aren't playing. I don't know. Have you heard of the uh, agenda 21 at all? Yeah. So in this research, and I recommend you all, if you haven't heard about it, look into it. This is a plan for global state. They tried this uh, in the 40s called the League of Nations. It didn't work out. And now you have the United Nations. And this is all coming together under climate change. And not, it used to be global cooling. It used to be global warming. And now they just say climate change because change is constant. So you use vague language like that, like politicians, I'm your voice for change. Change is going to happen every day, my friends. I'm different than I was yesterday. So are all you guys, and so we are the next day. Change is, is inevitable. Improvement is optional. So a better politician slogan is your voice for improvement, but they're not going to say that. They're going to use tricky words, and that's what they do with climate change. And so the way they're going to fund their global state is they're going to do it through carbon taxes, and that's what Al Gore's movie about, um, Inconvenient Truth, maybe 10 years ago. He's highly invested in the carbon trade uh, areas. And so you have a lot of predators preying on our children, trying to uh, bring this global state into fruition. And um, there's just a lot of different agendas. And so rather than focus on things we can't control, it's what we can control, building relationships with our neighbors, with like-minded people, and you know, tuning into uh, Dr. Sarah's show here and learning what's going on. How do we empower ourselves? Because I think the future is about personal sovereignty, which means your rights don't come from government, they come from God or from nature. And that's life, liberty, and property. And this body is yours. Or I said, this body's mine, your body's yours. <laughs> and this is one of the best questions, you know, who owns you? And if you can yeah. say, nobody owns me, then step into that sovereignty. And you know, that's, so ultimate freedom comes with ultimate responsibility. And we want our kids to learn this sooner rather than later so they can learn. You know, once we give the kids the facts, the truth about life and what's going on, and you don't got to go all the way down the rabbit hole with Agenda 21, but let them know there's people who want to at least take your time, take your money, and take your energy. And these are the giant corporations. They want to suck your time, suck your attention. But if you can become aware of that and say, you know what, I'm not going to put all my, money, all my time on Facebook or on Instagram or whatever. Maybe I'll, I'll play around, but we're all here to build our own dreams, I think. And whether it's a small dream or a big one, um, you know, life is such a short experience. And if they can understand this, then it's going to be like, wow, I, I'm going to step into whatever my dream is. And maybe it's this one day and that next week and whatever. But the more experience they have, they're going to be better off and be ready for the world that... Um, we, this is a great question. We didn't inherit this world from our parents. We're borrowing it from our children. Oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> Tom, I like right? that. Yeah. And you, do you have children? I don't. I have uh, two nephews and a niece. And um, yeah, would love to have, you know, five or six kids. But, uh, you know, got to find a lady for that to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and are your niece, uh, niece and nephews homeschooled? 
Um, not homeschooled, but um, my sister-in-law did come to one of my expos because at that time, my niece, she was in the second grade and, uh, you know, I would visit and see her and I love her. And, but when I would walk her to school, this is second grade, she's crying and she's saying, uncle, I don't want to go to school. I'm like, I don't want you to go either, but you know, <laughs> it's what your mom and dad are doing. So I support them. And I said, maybe, you know, like if you homeschool, then they'll let you not go to school. She's like, I want to homeschool. So I started talking with my brother and his wife and they're like, okay, what can we do? So anyways, they put her in a private school, some Christian school that is a little bit more play-based and a little bit more freedom-based. And um, that was a few years ago. But when, she, when they first um, moved her, I asked her, I said, hey, niece. I said, so how's your new school? Oh, she says, it's good. Oh, okay. Well, do you like it? She's like, yeah. I said, do they do a lot of testing? She's like, yeah. But my mom said, if I get bad grades, it doesn't matter. I was like, yes, absolutely. <laughs> because mom and dad, you guys have so much influence over your kid's mind and perception. Yeah. So if you're like, you got to get good grades, the test, the time, all these things, the kid's like, okay, all right. Remember, you're the one who provides food, shelter, and love. So whatever you say, okay. But if you say, hey, I'm not worried about your grades. Have fun. Enjoy your day. Make friends. You know, eat good lunch. And, uh, you know, try not to get too bloody on your scraping your knees or elbows, you know, <laughs> and have fun out there. Then they can just go, uh, they relax. And so that when, I, when I asked her that, I was so happy for my brother and his wife that uh, they decided to not stress out the child and um, allow them to be a child and play and experience, you know, all the different senses. I mean, this is another thing for like the first eight or nine years, kids are just barely getting to know, touch, taste, smell, hearing, and eyesight. So if they can't read by age nine, mom and dad, it's okay. By age 11, it's okay. That is something that will become of natural desire when, it's, when they're ready for it. Maybe they're a more of a of a um, kinesthetic learner, you know, a physical learner of the uh, professor from Harvard, how, no, Howard Gardner, his book, The Multiple Intelligences, you know, he says there's nine types of intelligences and there's physical, interpersonal, intrapersonal, music, linguistic, spatial visualization, musical. I mean, there's a few more. Um, I think there's probably seven billion types of intelligences because, like Gatto said, an education should be as unique as your fingerprints. So if you take a look at your fingerprints, you are one of 7 billion on the earth. And it's up to you to kind of create your own education and, and help your child create that own education. But at least there's nine <laughs> to, to Gardner's point. And some of your kids are going to be more intellectual, spatial, analytical. Some of them are going to be more physical, more athletic, more musical, more linguistic. And whatever it is, is okay. Because like Pablo Picasso said, every child's a born artist. The challenge is they lose that artistry in school. Or Buckminster Fuller, every child's a born genius. And the challenge is they get de-geniused trying to please their teachers and please their parents. So the sooner that your child can see that they're not here to please you, mom and dad, they're here to learn and have fun and explore their senses and this amazing thing called life, then what you're creating or helping facilitate is a lifelong learner. 
someone who learns for the joy of learning, and then you can't stop them. And if they can learn to love learning and just keep going, their success is going to be uh, guaranteed uh, versus you have to do it because I say this is the right way. I know what's best. And this is, you're going to need this someday in the future. All that just sounds like wah, 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 wah. What they want to do is they want to feel love. They want to know, does this person care for me? You know, so this is why I'd say some of the ideals for parents is to establish the bond of trust in your house so that your child knows 100% you can trust them. They can trust you and you respect them. So somebody who I trust, somebody who I respect, I'm going to come with you for genuine questions. And one of the, the great stories I had from my friend Dana Martin, who's an unschooling champion as well, um, her son was, I think, seven or eight years old, and he was jumping on the trampoline. You know, it was one of those big trampolines, and they're jumping, jumping, as boys do, and one of the springs broke. And his friends, oh, my gosh, don't tell my mom. And <laughs> he came from a different um, parenting style. And so her son was like, okay, I won't tell your mom. And then, but he was like, why? Why, why can't we tell your mom? She's, oh, she's going to kill me. It's like, oh. If we tell my mom, she's going to help me fix it. <laughs> sure. so, so the slight difference of who is the mom or the dad, what is the authority figure? Are they there to condemn? Are they there to punish? Or are they there to help? Are they there to support? Are they there as a guide, as a coach versus I'm the authority and I'm in charge and I do it and I, give, I pay, you know, I come pay for the food and the shelter and all these things, which of course that's true. Mom and dad, you have the most strategic leverage and power over your child, which is more reason to be compassionate, more reason to provide them a, a platform where they're like not being coerced and not being forced. So then they willingly come out of their own heart and their own volition. Hey, mom and dad, what should I do here? I don't know what to do versus afraid to tell them that they broke the trampoline as opposed to, hey, mom, I broke it. Can you help me? Sure, honey. Yeah. We'll do it together. Yep. We have that a lot in our house. If someone doesn't, well, we've had a lot of breakage lately. And then our bottom line is, well, come and tell us. Because if you don't tell us, then then that's when we get mad. But if you tell us, then we can get this solved. So we're working on that barrier here. And just to be clear, I have a seven-year-old who can't really tie his shoes. Are you mm. really telling me that I can kind of hit the brakes and not be so wound up about that? Yes, absolutely. For sure. Because <laughs> I'm you pretty know, hard on him. I'm thinking yeah. that he should be able to do it, but maybe I yeah. just need to keep going with the Velcro shoes. Yep, absolutely. Velcro and, you know, who knows at age seven, you know, what is his psychological map look like? You know, maybe he's not the intellectual guy at this age, but it develops, you know, different parts of the brain for different people and different experiences and environments. They develop differently, but what he's looking for you is support, you know, and it was the same thing with my nephew. You know, I think he might've been, I don't know, seven or eight and like, um, I was trying to help him and he got really frustrated and it's like, that's okay. Don't worry. We'll do it later. You know, you don't got to do it right now, but the, the kids are so sincere and they're so earnest. They put all this pressure on themselves and then it's kind of like a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, once they put the pressure, then they got to do it and they can't do it. Now they feel more pressure, but if it's like, it's okay, it's all right. Um, there's a great film called The Power of the Heart, and there's a lot of uh, really great wisdom in that film. But one of the guys says, there's only two emergencies in life, and that is if you can't breathe or if you're bleeding. Other than that, you can take a breath 
everything's okay. It's going to be all right. There's, those are the only serious emergencies in life. Everything else is kind of a, a fabricated urgency or emergency. And how this affects us is our mind, our cortisol levels, our stress levels, the uh, ability to be present with people around us. It's like, is that really an emergency? You know, whether it's shoe tying or reading, reading is probably a big one. Um, one of the great resources, a guy named uh, Sam Blumenfield, and he's helped uh, parents teach their kids to read when they were um, diagnosed with some reading disability or learning challenge. And um, he focuses on phonetics or phonics. And uh, he's a great guy to, uh, to go, go through reading. But um, what parents struggle with is trusting the genius of a child. So really look into like how powerful the human mind is, the brain, and trust them. Trust creates, I don't know, some type of um, superpower in children. They know they can do it. And if they don't, they know you'll forgive them. It's gonna be, everything's going to be okay. But if they're always walking on eggshells, whether they're afraid to get yelled at or spanked or grounded or all these things, it actually reduces the ability to learn. And so you just want them feeling that love that you naturally have for them. And kids are going to make mistakes. They're going to make errors. They're going to break stuff. They're learning about morality. They're learning about all these things. And so one of the greatest examples that we can be as parents and adults around them is the model. You know, so this is where it's like, now we're accountable for what we're doing. And so if we're cooking something and we drop the jar and we're going crazy, oh, we dropped it. Oh, now that your child's watching you, that's how you deal with something. When you break it, you scream, you yell, you lose your stuff, but maybe you drop it. And you're like, ah, oh, that's not like me or, oh, I made a mistake. You see that, honey? We all make mistakes. That's okay. We'll just <laughs> clean it up. And it really is that, that um, detailed because they're literally watching, whether it's, they're on a subconscious level, right? I think for the first seven yeah. years, they're uh, almost pure subconscious mind. So there's a sponge. You, whatever you say to them, you know, you're a genius, you're lovable, I love you, you're awesome. They're like, yes, yes, yes. Or <laughs> you're stupid, you can't read, you can't do that. They're like, yes, yes. <laughs> so this is why the power of your words is so important too. You're almost like casting spells or, you know, like sending vibrations to them that in, imprint them and then they come out later and then we have to like do our own transformational work and unlearn all these things mom and dad taught us. Mm -hmm. So, but also um, as a side note, and I'll give it back to you here is um, if you mom and dad out there can start your own learning project, then your child will actually learn how to learn by watching you. So whether it's your garden or the windows or the walls or some music, so they will see you learning, reading, typing, writing. And hey, mommy, hey, daddy, what are you doing? Oh, daddy's learning a new skill. Oh, daddy's building a new thing. He's doing a project. Oh, and they're just going to become so curious about what you're doing. And then later on, you can refer to that. Hey, you remember when I was learning how to sing or I remember I was learning to put the windows up? Yeah, we just keep learning stuff, you know? What type of project do you want to learn today? And they'll just, you know, overflow with all these things they want to do and say, wow, that sounds like projects for the next three years. How about for today, you know? How about for the next week? You know, let's break it down into bite size. And, um, and so really, if you can be a, a learning example to them, I mean, really, it's, it's simpler than parents realize, but we have to deprogram ourselves. And the actual phrase is called de-schooling. And the um, analogy is that if you have, a, let's say, a bottle of soda, you shake it up, 
before you can drink the soda, you have to take the cap off. And this lets all the pressure exit. So if your child's been in the school system, let's say they're uh, in the sixth grade and they've been in there for six years, the rule of thumb is that for every year they've been in the school system, you want to give them a month of freedom. So they've been in the school system six years. When you remove them, give them six months of freedom to learn whatever they want, even if like it's video games or even if it's sleeping in or if it's whatever it is, because they've been under this pressure of time, homework, schoolwork, bells, bathroom. Can I go to the bathroom? No. Can I drink a water? And so all of a sudden, it's like, okay, you're, a, you're in the home now. You're a human being. And so you have to learn who you are again. You have to realize, remember who you are. And I had a, a lady said, uh, her, I think her daughter was in the third or fourth grade, and she started homeschooling. And she's like, my daughter asked me if she could go to the bathroom. And she's like, that just destroyed me. You know, I just went in the room and cried because I was just like, this is so bad. Like, what are they doing at these schools? You're in my house. You're my daughter. You don't have to ask these about them. The bathroom's right there, you know? So these are the, these are the serious um, mental problems that happen in these school systems. So mom and dad, forget about ruining your child's life. Go with love. Go with an example. Demonstrate that to them. Focus on trust and let them know that love really is the lesson and the world's a classroom. Mm-hmm. So, you know, let us embody that, demonstrate that. And then whether it's love of your life or yourself or your partner or your family, your dog, your career, love is, there's so many different aspects of love. And uh, if your child can feel that and see that through us, as we are learning and exercising that for our own life, um, they're going to feel that and say, okay, then I can do this. And then most importantly, mom and dad, you can say, I can do this too. You make it sound so easy. <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I think it's crazy how like my two boys, they have the same parents and they are so different. They learn different. They react so different. They've had the exact same upbringing, but you know, just our, and, and I think about with my family too, we have my brothers and sisters, we are all so different. And sometimes at first it would frustrate me because I would think, why isn't he tying his shoes? You know, the other one tied his shoes at five and here we are at seven. What's wrong with him? Mm. You can't think that way because nothing's wrong with him because he's a different person. And we all Mm. learn at a different rate. And I'm learning this too, because I was one of those people. Let's get your homework done. Let's do this. Like I was always so anal about all that stuff, but you can't be, you have to just sometimes let it be. That's right. Yep. And again, if you can focus on the goal is creating a lifelong learner, then you want them to love learning. And just like loving something, you can't make anybody love anything. They have to discover that for themselves. So you create the environment where love can exist. And that is through an informal learning environment. Um, No judgment, accept them for who they are. And you'll see amazing testimonials of um, people who uh, achieve great things in life and they'll, they'll, in their acceptance speeches at the Academy Awards or in their books, they'll say, thank you to my parents. Thank you to my family who accepted me just the way I was, you know, because as um, Mark Twain said, he said, once you realize that we're all mad, then the mysteries of the universe disappear. So it's like, what is going on here? You know, being a human is just a mad experience. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. It's a tragedy. It's a comedy. And it's happening now. So rather than projecting all the, oh, they're going to have a terrible life in the future. It was like, no, they're here right now. So even 
consider avoiding the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to do right now? Because as time continues, it's always going to be now. So whether they're 12 or 22 or 32, if they can get in the practice of saying, what do I want to do right now? That requires them to listen to their heart, to observe what's around them, see what you know they want or the world wants or what they you know the, the needs of their community. And then they can say, say, I want this. Great. And then we give them the tools or they've already learned the tools of, well, how do I find that? You know, it's like the, one of the three basic things is what do I know already? Who can I ask? What can I read? And now with the YouTube, what can I watch? Right. But mm-hmm. the, the, the answers exist. And so they try to make it seem so difficult. It seems so scary because every time you remove your child from the school system, I say every family that does that, the district or the school loses money. And so this is why you have truancy officers. Um, and after in California, they can actually find the parent up to $2,000 and put them into uh, jail for a year if their child becomes a truant and you know, doesn't show up and doesn't do all these things. So it's like, dude, this is my child. Are you guys wow. ridiculous? Like, yeah, I'm going to go on vacation for six weeks and you're disapproving that? Take a hike, man. Are you kidding me? So it really is parents. You're taking back possession of your child because the state thinks they own them, you know? And so from age six to age 18, you're, if you don't put your child in schools, then they can become a truant. You can be fined or jailed. And this is in the California Education Code. North Dakota, I think, is probably a little less stringent. You know, who, who knows wherever else people are, Idaho, Florida, this is stuff you guys got to look into yourself, but um, it's a compulsory system. And it's the only organization that I've seen that forces you to be somewhere in a building. And we're not doing it to grown adults, we're doing it to kids where they have to get permission to get water, to go to the bathroom. Um, I was talking to some teenagers out here in Santa Cruz, age 15. I said, man, and I was telling them what I do, you know, the, mm-hmm. the working with John Gow, the underground history of American education. And I said, yeah, it's a terrible system. And um, he's like, yeah, now they give us a bathroom pass every semester and you can only go to the bathroom. I think his had like 10, 10 bathroom passes or something. And I'm like, what's that? He's like, well, they, they hole punch it. And then after you run out of bathroom passes, you can't go to the bathrooms anymore. I'm like, oh my, I said, you're in the 10th grade right now? Oh, so this is just more encouragement and motivation for us, the people in the Gatter Project or homeschool programs or whatever we're doing out there. We got to really accelerate our programming and, um, and really get out there with parents because they don't know these types of um, solutions exist. These conversations are, are being had. And uh, that's why I'm so honored to you know, have a, a great conversation with you, creating some good content and some solutions for parents out there. Because you parents that pull your kids out and do homeschooling, you guys are the visionaries. Really understand that. So that you're breaking the cycle of a day prison or compulsory attendance for children. And hey, if your child wants to go back, fine. That's up to them. Mm-hmm. But uh, you've shown them that uh, you can learn outside of school. You don't have to get permission to go to the bathroom. And uh, I'm going to make sure my kids have absolute knowledge that I don't want you to go back to public school. If you want to, that's on you because this is your life and this is your mind. But um, and I'll try to show them what's going on in the schools and and even if you can't homeschool right now, mom and dad, let me just share something with you. What Gatto explained because Gatto was in the public school system for thirty years, and so what he did is he would help parents and even the students themselves understand this structure. He's like, 
you know, what is all the bells about? Like, what are the, what are the bells all about? You know, why are you not able to choose your curriculum? So you, what you do is you make the system of school a subject to study so that when you're in the school, you're not believing it's a fabricated system. You're actually like, oh, that's strange. Yeah, the bells. Wow, this is kind of a social engineering type thing. So you can actually psychologically remove yourself from it versus like, okay, I got to get the class and I got to get good grades. You study the apparatus and then by identifying it for what it is, then you remove yourself from it. You're no longer uh, trapped in its, um, in, its, in its net of control. I, my kids were in school during a week longer than I was at my job. And when I think about that now, because I wasn't working 40 hours a week or whatever, um, but when I added up the hours of when my kids were in school versus when I was working, they were in school more than I worked. And I, mm. I thought that, I, I don't know, like that bothered me because like I would take Fridays off or Friday afternoons off and my kids were in school. So here I am with the day off. And a lot of times I was running errands and whatever. Um, but it bothered me that I had the time off and my kids basically had to work. That's right. And if you calculate the amount of hours that your children spend with you during the school year, you might get two or three hours a day, but they're mm -hmm. spending six, seven hours a day with total strangers in the yep. school system. And like we both said, we both came from small towns. So like we knew the teachers and sometimes, you know, we were in the same church or whatever. Mm -hmm. And um, so that was at least provided some kind of comfort. But could you imagine in some of these schools that have 3000 people in the school and like mm -hmm. the, just the, the strangeness of that. You don't know who this person is. You don't know anything about them. And they mm -hmm. are spending more time with your child from age six to age 18 than you are the mother and father who created them in love, provide for all their expenses and food and everything. But mm -hmm. an agent from the state is now indoctrinating them with a status curriculum and it's like, oh, so you start to connect the dots and you start to realize this is a really terrible system. And I think that's why it's falling apart. And that's why they're going to keep increasing the fines, increasing the penalties and, and intimidation, because that's what criminal organizations do. They use threats, intimidation, um, and try to use uh, your kids against you. And like, I mean, it's just really going down a deep rabbit hole of like where this is all going. And ultimately, I think it's going to be a question of freedom or slavery. And who's responsible for your life? Whose life is this? So if you can hang out, make communities, I and mean, it's really going to take us on the ground, on the grassroots level, like, okay, like, so what we're doing over here, you know, we want to start a teen program. Okay, we're going to grab two or three teens, put it together, see what we can create. You know, some uh, mm -hmm. kids want to learn how to um, do dance. Okay, you're the dance teacher. Okay, right. This is like the homeschool co-op situation. Mm -hmm. So it's... um. It's really that time, and uh, you know, there's no um, really thing to fear except letting the state continue to disempower and force your child into do unhealthy things. And even if you pull your kids out and you fail and you do terrible, I think that's going to be a million times better than leave them in the state school system where they're basically a number and they don't have the ability to go to the restroom or choose what they read. I mean, some of the basic human rights and it's being inflicted on kids. I just don't think it's acceptable any longer. Well, I admire what you do because you're encouraging people, I think, daily to live better, be better and do better. So thank you so much for coming and 
chatting and really informing because a lot of people, they do not know anything about this because it's so foreign. You just, you, well, you just send your kid to school. It's what you do, right? Cause that's what everyone does. Hey, that's what mom and dad did. Grandparents did. The television tells us, hey, we got to get a quality education. The school needs more money. And let me share with this as we wrap up. The school system may be the largest business in the country at over $700 billion per year. This is larger than ExxonMobil. And uh, it is just a huge moneymaker for the textbook publishers, the uniform makers, the food producers, the architects, the bus manufacturers, the suppliers. I mean, it goes on and on. And I mean, who doesn't want, you know, free money, easy money, but at what expense, you know? And so it's become a giant uh, money-making scheme. And this is why the Teachers Union, the National Education Association, American Federation for Teachers, um, have a lot of political power because it's, it's for the children, they say. But mom and dad, I encourage you to get there, grab the microphone, say, what is an education, you know, president of the NEA or AFT or like, you tell me what education is. You tell me what success is. Ask them these questions. They don't know. They are bureaucrats. They're politicians. They're, they do deals under the table. I'm sure these people are making a lot of money, you know, behind the scenes. Oh, there's a great documentary called The Cartel. This is uh, about the New Jersey public school system. The guy interviews all these people. And in essence, what's happened is that there has been a billion dollars missing from the school budget. Nobody was arrested. Nobody got caught. Holy. Nobody seemed to care. And this is on video. And then they even hired like fake people. So they put imaginary people on the payroll and then pocket the money. Because when you give power and money to people, then there's no accountability because there's a political purpose and a status agenda. They just say, okay, nobody's paying attention. All right. Now you got human nature at work. Um, so that's a good, another good film. If you're a little bit concerned about homeschooling, you want to look into private schools, there's something called uh, Democratic Schooling, Agile Learning Centers, Act On Academy, and the film that I recommend is called Summerhill 2008, and that is about a Democratic school, very well-made film, very emotional. I cry tears of joy and hope and emotion every time I watch that film. It's a really beautiful film. It's about a school in the United Kingdom. They've been around for 100 years. No compulsory attendance, no compulsory curriculum, no permission to use the bathroom, and the kids come out full loving life. It's a community. It's a boarding school. It's a K-12 boarding school, um, but it's just a, a beautiful thing to see when 200, 300 kids are not forced to do it. They take optional classes. You show up to class. You show up to school, and they say, "All right, uh, Sarah, we have uh, these classes. These are what we offer. Um, take a look. If you want to take Japanese or art or music or astrology, go ahead, right there. Um, and then if you don't, there's you know, ten acres in the back. There's a, a bicycle ramp in the front. There's a musical instrument in the barn. Treehouse over there. Go have fun. Go play. Go be a kid. And the kids are just like." Are you serious? Yeah. <laughs> and basically during summertime, they don't want to go home. They want to stay there and play with their friends. Wow. They come back from summer and they're hugging and say, hey, I missed you. How was summer? Really? I mean, there's a, there's a serious amount of propaganda that we've been taught about what school is, how it can be. And this is one of the best models created by A.S. Neal 120 years ago, um, 100 years ago. And uh, it's all voluntary, very inspirational and empowering. So voluntary schools do exist. 
And I believe the voluntary educational model is the future, whether it's homeschooling, Democrat schooling, agile learning, act on academy. I have so much respect for those people that are starting schools, starting homeschool co-ops as you and your family or friends might out there listening in. Um, but yeah, it's uh, great to uh, talk with you, Sarah, and uh, maybe we'll do it again and t- come talk about apprenticeships or accelerate graduations or anything yes. else. You know, Maybe when uh, we release the second volume of the book, we'll come out and uh, do have another conversation. I would really appreciate that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. So let's, uh, wherever this is going to be posted, I'll take a look and share it. And um, thank you for all you parents out there having courage um, because homeschooling has been the de facto way for thousands of years. If you can just take a little glimpse at the history, uh, you'll gain some strength, you'll gain some, gain some bravery, and um, everything's going to work out. You know, it's going to be, it's going to be okay. And well, that was very informative talking to Mr. David Rodriguez. I really enjoyed that conversation because he, to be honest, I am a little on edge to make sure that I'm doing everything the right way. And over the past few months, I've definitely let go of a lot of that stuff that I normally really stress about. So I don't like to be one of those people that need reassurance, but he definitely gave me reassurance that I'm on the right path and I'm doing the right thing for my family at this time. And again, I am really fortunate because we have had really good um, experience with all the teachers that my kids have had, but we're also very fortunate that we are in a smaller community. And so we aren't just numbers. We are able to put a name to the face and be able to have good relationships with them. But this year definitely has been such an experience for me and such an experience for the boys. And as I was doing this podcast, it was recess time. And so I'm seeing them out the window and then I'm hearing them wrestle and laughing in the living room. And at first I was thinking, I am doing something. Why are they being so noisy? But then as David said, they are kids. So what can I really expect? And I will say that I'm probably harder on my kids than most people are because I do expect a lot out of them, but I also expect a lot out of myself. So I don't think that I'm holding them to unrealistic standards. I hope that you are doing exactly what you need to do for your family and for your kids, because at the end of the day, that's what matters. We are doing the best that we can and we can't do better until we know better. So I hope that you may have learned something today that you didn't know. And I encourage everyone to do better, live better, be better, whatever that means to you. Remember, we are all living our own lives and I hope you're living your best life. Have a marvelous day. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated. 